Today we are beginning our new sermon series in recognition of our annual stewardship campaign and we've entitled this sermon series Greater Than and today the theme is Greater Than Me. God is greater than me. Do you believe that, that God is greater than you? Yeah. Well, some of you do more than others. (laughs) That's always the case. You know, the ancient Hebrews um, had a real sense of the mysterious. And we're going to be talking a lot today about the mysterious uh, nature of God, the wonder of God. And the Hebrews um, didn't even write the name of God, Yahweh, because uh, they felt like God was so awesome and so far removed, really, so magnificent and mighty that you didn't even write his name. Uh, The Holy of Holies in the temple where uh, it was understood that the presence of God resided. The the high priest didn't even go into the Holy of Holies but one time a year. So there was this understanding among the ancients of God being so much greater than we are. uh, So much more removed and mysterious in every way. And perhaps we can say they went a bit too far, but I dare say that they were nearer right than we are today in the way that we, in essence, downplay the mysterious and the wonder of God. I'd like for us to turn this morning in our Bibles to the 55th chapter of Isaiah, and we're going to begin reading with the 6th verse of Isaiah 55. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace, and the mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign, that shall not be cut off. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to start my sermon this morning by just asking a question. Now, uh, I want to ask this question. Is this verse found in the Bible, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform? How many of you know that's in the Bible? Will you raise your hand? How many of you up here? Any of you? Okay, Sarah thinks it's in the Bible. Well, a lot of you think it's in the Bible, but you're too embarrassed to raise your hand because you know I'm baiting you, right? It's not in the Bible. 
You know, this is one of the most misquoted verses. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform that we think is in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. It actually comes from a hymn that was written by William Cowper that was in the 19th century when he wrote, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plans his footsteps in the sea. He rides upon the storm. But even though that's not in the Bible, we have to say that throughout the Bible is uplifted this understanding of the mysterious and wonder of God, that nature of God, so mysterious. And Paul, in writing to the Romans, the 11th chapter, the 33rd verse, even in the New Testament, we have this sentiment. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, exclamation point. You know, there was a time in history, and our scripture that we've read this morning reflects that time in history that was pre-scientific. Therefore, to the pre-scientific people, The mysterious and the unexplainable part of everyday life was the way they lived. And there was so much that they could not understand, could not explain, that this general category of mystery was something that that was just part of the culture. In fact, if you couldn't explain it, and there was so much you couldn't explain, you just gave God the credit and said God did it, and that settled it. They couldn't begin to explain really, as we know today, how night and day happen. Or, like the scripture said this morning, how the rain comes down. How does that happen? And and how the, the seed germinates and sprouts and becomes a plant that was so mysterious to them. Or how the wind blows or the tides of the ocean come in and come out. This was not understood. Even the, 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 the very understanding of childbirth and the mysterious nature of people coming to be. So it was all attributed quite easily to God. This understanding of God being greater than me was easy to be able to endorse. And so throughout scripture we have that endorsement of the mystery and wonder of God. And then came the educational awakening, right? The printing press was invented and common folk began to read. And more and more people went to school. The scientific revolution came. And science began to explain more and more of the things that were just unexplainable before. The, The horizons of human knowledge were expanded again and again and again and today we can understand so much about life that many people assume that we can one day understand everything that there is to understand about life and for many of our contemporaries there is no longer any room for mystery therefore maybe not any room for God And I dare say that's an increasing phenomenon in our day, in our country, in our culture. Many people may not say it, 
But they practically, practically believe that they are greater than God. If God, in fact, exists. We are living in a time where there is a great emphasis being placed on the rational. We have great confidence in the ability of the human mind to understand life and the world in which we live. You know, I'm proud to say that, and we Christians should be proud to say that, that in this country, uh, you can go back over the past 300 years in our great institutions, it was the church that led the way to education. Many of us know that Harvard and Yale were originally Puritan schools and that Princeton was a Presbyterian school. There's a, a Latin verse that still is there today at Princeton that says, under God she flourishes. In Vanderbilt, in USC, did you know that they were once Methodist affiliated? As was Northwestern in Syracuse. And we still have great schools like Duke and Boston University and Emory and SMU as Methodist institutions. And of course, the great Centenary Gents. Woo! A Methodist school. So United Methodists have long proclaimed the importance of loving God with our, our, our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. That the mind is a God-given gift and Education is a God-given gift. You know, we in the United Methodist Church, we, we, we don't say park your brains and come in and then we'll engage in irrational worship. Much different than that. We encourage us to think about God. And in doing so, thinking and let think, that has led to um, differing theological um, understandings, even under the same tent of United Methodism. But education's important. So hear me loud and clear. There is no excuse for fuzzy thinking when it comes to God. And the failure to develop our minds is a poor display of stewardship toward the gift of our God-given minds. There's a twofold problem today as I see it. First, there are Christians who, who wrongly think that God is pleased the more irrational things that we can believe in in the name of faith. God is not honored by a mind-numbing, irrational picture of the gospel. I don't believe God is honored by that. And secondly, there are those who overly are impressed with what our minds can do. They believe that given time, there is nothing that we cannot understand, categorize, and quantify. Everything in life that does not fit established rational categories is simply dismissed. Now what that produces is an understanding that our minds are, are, are basically limited. If we can't understand it, then it doesn't exist. Therefore, we don't enter into that mysterious, in that wonder of all of the things we don't know, we don't get, and will never. You know, I want to say this morning that there is no room for mystery 
And by dismissing God, we are saying that we are greater than God. There should be no room for that in our thought. Mystery and wonder of God must become part of our understanding of faith. Even as we pursue the truth and think through truth and try to understand as much about God as we possibly can, realizing we may not be right. But we do understand that God is the God of truth. And pursuing the God of truth is pursuing an understanding of who God is and God always will be. You know, I was reading uh, this week and I came across a quote from Albert Einstein. Not a small intellect, you know, Einstein. He had this kind of reverent humility. Listen to this quote. The most beautiful thing that we can experience is the mysterious. The sense of wonder in the presence of something partly known and partly hidden. The one to whom this emotion is a stranger who can no longer stand wrapped in awe and wonder is as good as dead. A snuffed out candle is she or he. You know, I'm impressed with the fact that this brilliant scientist who understood so much still made room for the life of mystery still knew that, that God was greater than, than he was because there were things that God no doubt knew and put in place that he would never fully understand. As God has said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways, nor your ways, my ways. You know, after we've wrestled with the great I, issues of life and ideas that come forth, there's always the appropriate time to kneel, isn't there? There's always an appropriate time to recognize in our own spirituality and even in the context of worship on a Sunday morning that we gather here to acknowledge that God is greater than me, than you, than anyone. H.G. Wells dealt with this in a story called The Soul of a Bishop. And in this story, there's this, uh, this dialogue between a, a bishop and an angel. And, and the bishop and the angel are, are talking. The angel says to the bishop that all religions are trying to ex express a truth which they really don't clearly know, but there's a mystery about it, so it eludes them. It escapes their mind, but they're searching for truth, and that's what religion, all religion, is about. And so the bishop asks the angel, but the truth, can you tell me the truth? And the angel smiled and, 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 and put his cupped hands over the bishop's bald spot. And, and then... The angel stroked that bald spot very affectionately. And, and then, with smile, said, Truth, yes, I can tell you. But this couldn't hold it. Not this little box of brains. 
You haven't things to hold it, he said to the bishop. You know, there is much in life that we can understand. But what that angel was telling the bishop is also a reality that we must embrace. That there's not enough here in this box of brains to fully understand all of the ways of God. And that is worth celebrating and understanding that God is bigger than we are. And we need to be comfortable with the mystery. You know, I'm becoming more comfortable with the mystery. And the reason for this is that I deeply believe that God is like Jesus. Actually, I believe that God is Jesus. But let me wait for just a moment before I go there. The way that we know about God's presence and the way that we understand the actions of God is that we, we basically say, does it look and sound like Jesus? If it does, it must be God. Jesus greatly demonstrated that God is greater than me. Here was this great one Jesus, but how many times in the Gospels do we see Jesus going to the mountain to pray or separating from the group to pray and to pray to God in such a way that, that, that Jesus is consulting God and recognizing that God is that higher power, if you will, and how much peace Jesus gets in the presence of the mystery and the wonder. How, how Jesus was so comfortable with that mystery and wonder that he could talk to God as if God was Abba, or Daddy, or Poppy, or Father. You know, Jesus, through our theology as Christians, we uplift him as in fact God. And yet we realize that Jesus coming to earth gave us that example that we could get that example of how we as humans are called to live in recognition of the mystery and the wonder of God and how that God calls us to love with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Would it be great if we could recover a sense of wonder? Wouldn't it be great if we could look at life and with the eyes of the Spirit and see the hand of God everywhere and, and not be too uh, too concerned about the fact that we may not get it all, but we can attribute it all to God. You know, Jesus said that before you can really understand this mystery and this wonder, you have to be like who? A little child. Have you ever noticed that for little children, that, that so much is commonplace and that nothing is dull and routine? And it's okay if you don't fully understand it. Life is like discovering. And, and the faith is so simple and so straightforward and it's so fresh and it's so exciting. That's what Jesus said we had to become like little children in the way that we understand God and God's mystery and God's wonder. This past Friday night, and I close, 
I was at my parents' home and enjoying how settled in they were becoming in their new home. It was raining. In fact, it was thunderstorming. And if you remember, my parents' home was destroyed by a fire that was produced by lightning. Now, you need to know that in building their new home that they were very rational in the way they put it together. There are ten lightning rods on that house. (laughs) Ten. (laughs) And, And yet our family has been reminded again and again about God's mysterious involvement in seeing us through a very tough time. Some things that have happened just couldn't be explained. And so many of those things I I could share with you and it'd take up a lot of time about those things that we've just had to say, that was God. You know, after the storm subsided on Friday, it was coming and going. There was a double rainbow in the sky in the distance. In fact, I went in front of the house so I could take a picture of the new house with the double rainbow. And you know, when we see a rainbow, we who are of the Judeo-Christian faith, we understand what a rainbow is about. It's about hope. Yet it comes to us from that um, experience of the great flood. And I dare say that there are few stories in the Bible that have Um, that caused us to question more than the story of the great flood. In fact, we we say when we think about that story, we think about, you know, how can we ever understand a big, great boat called an ark and all the animals coming in two by two, and we ask questions like, were there two dinosaurs that got into that ark? Uh, or, Or how do people, uh, how did, how did they, when there were so few of them, how did they, um, repopulate the earth there are so many questions that we have because we think about this story in, in, in a way that, that misses the point so much of the Bible and the rich stories were not meant to be science books they weren't meant to be explained away they were meant to, to bring forth the important message of the story and, and the message of the story is not the flood, it's the rainbow. It's, it's the understanding that when we fl- face floods in our lives that God is the God of the rainbow who gives us a sign. That God is there for us in the midst of the worst of circumstances. That God can restore that which is destroyed. God will redeem that which is seemingly unredeemable. God will take us to places that we may not can understand. And we need to get to that place where we can thank God for being the mysterious, wonderful God that God is. There are things that happen that we can explain. There are things that that happen that we cannot explain because we do not understand. But God moving in mysterious ways to bring about redemption in the midst of the worst of circumstances can only be chalked up to our amazing, mysterious, wonderful God. Do you believe that? I do too. Amen.